Okay, here we go. Welcome back to the Magic the Gathering unofficial audiobooks. I am your humble narrator, Phil Dawson, just saying thank you for listening and that it, it is a big deal to me that you're taking the time to listen and follow along. Some good news. We got our first patron on the Patreon side, Dr. Phil Griffiths. It's very cool, and I'd love to have more of you join up. Again, not required, as everything I put out will be available, and I'm thinking of making some more personalized things, maybe some live streams, question and answers, just some extras if you do want to join up. All you have to do is search my name, Phil Dawson, on Patreon.com, and I'll pop up, take a look at what we got, and if it isn't for you, I'd love to hear feedback on what would make you want to join up, as it's a very motivating tool to me keep me engaged and you know getting you guys the chapters and the books and I literally cannot wait till we hit the invasion cycle it's my favorite set of books but that's very far away so I want to keep chugging along and your support would go a long way into making that happen a reminder too you can follow me on Twitter Phil in Sendai you can see what else I'm up to and easily connect there or on Instagram and I was also reminded that there is interest in a discord server to discuss the lore the podcast maybe magic itself and whatever else the community wants to make of it. So that is in the works, and I appreciate your patience for that. And again, any feedback that would make you interested in joining something like that would be very much appreciated. Anyway, Rat and Zancha are awaiting. Let's go. Chapter 6 They didn't talk much after that. Zansha let the fire burn down and Rat made no attempt to revive it, choosing instead to pull his borrowed cloak tight around his shoulders. As little as he seemed to want to talk, Rat seemed reluctant to give his body the rest it needed. Three times, Zansha watched him slump sideways only to jolt himself upright. Exhaustion won the fourth battle. His chin touched his chest and his whole body curled forward find himself in a world of pain when he woke up. Zancha touched Rat's arm gently and when that failed to rouse him, eased him to the ground, which was dry and no worse than wherever he might have slept last. He pulled his arms tight against his chest. Zancha tried to straighten them but met resistance. His fists and jaw remained clenched, even in sleep. She'd thought that kind of tension was unique to Urza, to Urza's madness, but perhaps Rat's conscience was equally guilt-wracked. Whatever lies he told her and Azor, he'd been through hard times. His stained and aromatic clothes had once been sturdy garments, cut and sewn so carefully that their seams still held. Not slaves' clothing. No more than his shoes were a slave's shoes. They were missing their buckles and had been shredded where the fetters rubbed against them. If Zancha were wiser in ways of mortal misfortune, she might have read Rat's true history in the moonlight. Zancha knew more about the unusual aspects of a hundred out-of-the-way worlds than she knew about ordinary life anywhere. The two and a half centuries she and Urza had spent in Dominaria was the most time she'd spent in any single place. And though she'd taught herself to read and traveled at every opportunity, all she really learned was the extent of her ignorance. Zancha's day hadn't been so exhausting as Rat's. She could have stayed awake all night and perhaps tomorrow night if there'd been any need, 
But the night was calm, and although Rat's plight proved that there were slavers loose in F. and Pincher, tonight they were an empty country, far from towns or villages. Sancha heard owls and other night birds. Earlier she heard a wild cat yowling, but nothing large, nothing to keep them from settling down near Rat's feet, one arm touching his chain so she'd know if he'd move unwisely during the night. Were their positions reversed, Sancha wouldn't have tried to escape. In her long experience, the unknown had never proven more hospitable than the known. She hadn't thought of escape in all the time that she was a newt among Phyrexians, although that, she supposed, had been different. A better comparison might have been her first encounter with Urza. After Gick's exoration, Zancha had hidden among the Fourth Sphere gremlins, but they'd eventually betrayed her to the Fane of Flesh. The teacher priests caught her and punished her and then sent her to the furnaces. Zancha worked beside metal-sheathed stokers. The hot, acrid air had burned her lungs. She staggered under the impossible burdens they piled on her back. It was no secret the remains of Gix's newts were to be used up as quickly as possible. But when Zancha's strength gave out, it was a burnished stoker who stumbled over her fallen body and plunged into a crucible of molten brass. The fire priests wouldn't have her after that, so the Fane sent Zancha to the arena, where Phyrexian warriors honed their skills against engines and artifacts made in Phyrexia or creatures imported from other worlds. She was assigned tasks no warrior would have dared, feeding the creatures, repairing damaged engines, and destroying those artifacts the warriors had merely damaged. Her death had been expected, even anticipated, but when the fearsome wyverns, with their fiery eyes and razor claws, went on a rampage that reduced a hundred priests and warriors to oil-caked rubble, Zancha the Newt had survived without a scratch. Since she wouldn't die and they failed to kill her, the planner priests decided that Zancha had the makings of a dodger. Before he'd closed his eyes in sleep, the ineffable had decreed that Phyrexia must be relentless in its exploration of other worlds and in the exploration of whatever useful materials, methods, and artifacts that exploration uncovered. Exploration was the easy part. A complete Phyrexian, sheathed in metal and bathed in glistening oil, was thorough and precise. It was incapable of boredom, and when ordered to examine everything, it did exactly that, as accurate at the end as it had been in the beginning. But confronted with something they hadn't seen before, lesser Phyrexians often became confused, and through their rough bumbling, they frequently destroyed not only themselves, but whatever they'd been examining as well. It was an intolerable situation and necessitated an unpleasant solution. Whole colonies of gremlins were endured, even nurtured for their canniness and spontaneity, but no gremlin was cannier than the remnants of Gix's newts, the ones that refused to die. There were twenty of them summoned to the fountain, as identical as ever. They couldn't drink the glistening oil, so they were bathed in it while rows and ranks of complete Phyrexians watched in silence. A mobile planner priest described their new destiny. Go forth with the diggers and the bearers, gaze upon the creations of born minds, decipher their secrets so that they may be exploited safely for the glory and dominion of Phyrexia. There'd been more. Complete Phyrexians never suffered from fatigue during an endless oration. They had no tongues to turn thick or pasty from overuse, and, of course, they lacked imagination. Never mind that Urza ridiculed Zancha's imagination. She had more than the rest of Phyrexia rolled together. Standing beside the fountain slick with glistening oil, Zancha had imagined a wondrous future. Her future began on a world whose name she had never known. 
Perhaps the searcher priests had known its name when they came to investigate it, but once they discovered something useful to Phyrexia, the name of the place where they found it of was little importance to the team of diggers, bearers, and dodgers sent to exploit the discovery. Once the ambulator portals were configured, it didn't matter where the world truly lay. Just one step forward into the glassy black disk, the searcher priests unrolled across the ground and whoosh, the team was where it needed to be. When the team finished its work, usually in excavation and extraction, they'd pack everything up, stride into the ambulator's nether end, identical to the prime end except that it lacked this small configuration panel, and whoosh, they were back where they started, waiting for the next assignment. The ambulators were horrible artifacts, suffocating, freezing, and endless, and a dodger's work was worse than cleaning up after the warriors. The chief digger would lead a newt and a gremlin or two to whatever artifact had roused the searcher priest's attention, and sit back at a safe distance while dodgers did the dangerous work. Much of what the teams excavated was abandoned weapons, frequently still primed and hair-triggered. The rest, while not intended as weapons, still had a tendency to explode. Zancha quickly realized that gremlins weren't any more imaginative than Phyrexians. They were simply more expendable. That very first time outside the nether end of an ambulator, when she saw blue-gray gremlin hands reaching for the shiniest lever in sight, Zancha had decided she'd work alone and thrust her knife through the gremlin's throat before his imagination got her killed. The diggers hadn't cared. They only cared that she found and disconnected the tiny wires between that lever and a throbbing crimson crystal deep within the artifact. After the bearers got the inert crystal back to Phyrexia, a herald had conducted Zancha to one of the great obsidian fanes of the first sphere, where the planner priests, second only to the demon in Phyrexia's complex hierarchy, interrogated her about the excavation and the insights that had inspired her as she disconnected the wires. They demanded that she attach the crystal to the immense body of one of the planners, which Zancha did, having no other alternative to obedience. No one was more surprised than Zancha herself when both she the planner survived. The herald gave her a cloak of golden mesh and a featureless mask before conducting her back to the fourth sphere. For the first time, Zancha looked like a complete Phyrexian, provided she stood still. Diggers and bearers had been completed with scrap, bits of brass, copper, and tin. Their leather-patched joints leaked oil with every move. They were not pleased to have a gold-clad newt in their midst. Her life had never been gentle, but everything Zancha had endured until then had derived from indifference. It wasn't until she'd been rewarded by the planners that she experienced personal hatred and cruelty. Beneath Zancha's arm, the iron chain shifted slightly. Her fingers clamped over the shifting links before her eyes were open, but the movement was merely rat shifting in his sleep. A blanket of clouds had unfurled between them and the moon. The land had gone quiet. Zancha sniffed for storms or worse and found the air was empty as before. She loosened her grip on the chain without releasing it completely. Rat would run, though he remained fettered and had no hope of survival in the open country. He'd try to run as long as he believed freedom laid somewhere else. There was no word for freedom in Phyrexian. The only freedom of Phyrexian knew was the effortless movement of metal against metal when each piece was cushioned in glistening oil, and even that freedom was inaccessible to a flesh-bound newt. Battered and starved by the diggers who depended on her for their own survival, Zancha had taken refuge in endurance. Though none of the worlds she'd visited matched the moist, green world of her dreams, in truth, Dominaria itself didn't match those dreams. The worst of them had been more hospitable than Phyrexia. And if its perversity were proper measure of accomplishment, 
Menzancha took perverse pride in surmounting the challenge she found at the nether end of each ambulator portal. Once an artifact lay exposed in front of her, she'd forget the digger's prejudice, the bearer's brutality. Every artifact was different, yet they were all the same, too, and if Zancha studied them long enough, whether they had been made by Urza, Phyrexia, or some nameless artificer on a nameless world, she'd eventually unravel their secrets. Zancha would never be truly complete, but she had an archived usefulness. She'd become a dodger, the fifth dodger, by virtue of the Crimson Sphere, which began a revolution in the way Phyrexia powered itself largest non-sentient artifacts. A few more finds and she'd become the second dodger, Orman Hurzra, though in her thoughts she remained Zancha. The teacher priests were right about some things. Gix's newts were too old, too set to change. There was no Phyrexian word for happiness, and contentment meant glistening oil. Yet, as Orman Hurza, Zancha found a measure of both. The others might despise her, but with her gold mesh cloak, she was untouchable. And they needed her. Within their carapaces, Phyrexians were alive. They understood death and feared it more than a newt did because without flesh, complete Phyrexians could not heal themselves and scrap-made Phyrexians were almost as expendable as newts. The next turning point in Zancha's life came in the wind-swept mountains of a world with three small moons. The artifact was huge and ringed by the rotting flesh of a born folk who died defending it. Countless hollow crystals, no two exactly alike, pierced its dark, convoluted surface. Flexible wires had sprouted among the crystals, each supporting a concave mirror. When the mirrors moved, sound and sometimes light emerged from the hollow crystals. The searcher priests had been certain it was a weapon of unparalleled power. Disable it, they had told her. Prepare it for bearing back to Phyrexia. Do not attempt to dismantle it. The born folk fought hard. They could not defeat us, yet they did not retreat. They died to keep us from this artifact. Therefore, we must have it, and quickly. Sancha didn't need reasons. The artifact, any artifact, was sufficient. Solving each artifact's mystery was all that mattered to her. What the priests did with her discoveries didn't concern her. From a newt's vulnerable perspective, a new weapon meant nothing. Everything in Phyrexia was already deadly. Ignoring the corpses, she approached the artifact as she approached all the others. But the wind crystal, as she named it, wasn't a weapon. Its crystals and mirrors had no power except that they borrowed from the sun, moons, wind, and rain. Then they gave it back as patterns of light and sound. The artifact reached deep into Zancha's dreams, where it awakened the notions of beauty that couldn't be expressed in Phyrexian words. Zancha refused to prepare the artifact as the searcher priests had demanded. She told the diggers and bearers, it has no secrets, nothing that Phyrexia can use. It simply is, and it belongs here. She was Orman Herzra and the immobile planner priests of the first sphere had given her a golden cloak. She thought her words would have weight with the scrappy diggers and bearers, and they had, in a way Zancha hadn't imagined. They stripped away her golden cloak and beat her bloody. They destroyed the artifact, every crystal, every mirror. Then they told the searchers that Orman Herzra was to blame for the loss of the weapon that could reduce the whole world to dust. Battered and scarcely conscious, Zancha had been dragged to the brink of the very same fumarole where Gix had fallen to the seventh sphere. One push, and life would have ended for her. But Zancha was made of flesh, and the planner priests had believed that flesh could be punished until it transformed itself. From the fumarole, Zancha was taken to a cramped cell, where she dwelt in darkness for some small portion of eternity, sustained by memories of dancing light and music. When the priests thought she had suffered enough, they dragged her out again. 
The searchers had found another inscrutable artifact on another nameless world. Zancha was Orman Hazra. She was still useful, and she had the wit, the deceit to grovel before the various priests, begging for her life on any terms they offered. They sent her back to work, never guessing that a lowly newt, mourning the loss of beauty, had declared war on Phyrexia. The diggers suspected, but the great priests paid no much attention to the diggers, more than they did to the newts. And suspicion notwithstanding, diggers who worked with Orman Hazra lasted longer than those who didn't. As soon as she finished with one extraction, she'd find herself assigned to another team. Thirty artifacts and twenty-two worlds after being dragged out of her cell, Zancha's war was going well. She hadn't destroyed every artifact they sent to her to unravel, but she'd lost several and rigged several more so that the next Phyrexian who touched it never touched anything again. She grew quite pleased with herself. The diggers were already in place when Zancha arrived, alone and nauseous from the ambulator trek, on her 23rd world. A rattling digger made of metal and leather, all of it slick with oil that stank rather than glistened, led her into a humid cave where rows of smoky, meat-fat lanterns marked the excavation. They might be Phyrexian, the digger said as they approached the main trench. At least that's what Zancha thought it had said. Its voice box worked no better than the rest of it. Zancha peered into the trenches, into a pair of fire-faceted eyes each larger than her skull. She sat on her ankles, slowly absorbing what the searchers had found this time. They might be Phyrexian, the digger repeated. Whatever the artifact was, it wasn't Phyrexian, and neither were the ranks and rows of partially excavated specimens behind it. Phyrexians were useful. Tender priests completed newt flesh according to its place in the Ineffable's plan, and then they stopped. Function was everything. These artifacts had no apparent function. They seemed, at first and second glance, to be statues, metal reproductions of the crawling insects that, like rats and buzzards, flourished everywhere, including Phyrexia. And though Zancha had no liking for things that buzzed or stung, what she saw reminded her more of the long-destroyed wind crystal than the digger beside her. I'm told to ask, what will you need, Sekorim, for bearing? Zancha shook her head. Mostly the searcher priests looked for sources of metal and oil because Phyrexia had none of its own. Artifacts were a bonus, but the gems and precious metals that completed the higher priests came to Phyrexia in the form of plunder. It didn't take Orman Huzra to secure plunder. There had to be more, and to find it, Zancha seized a lantern and leapt into the trench where the stronger but far less agile digger couldn't follow. At arm's length, she realized that the insects were fully articulated. Whoever made them had meant them to move. She touched a golden plate, and it was warm as her own flesh and vibrated faintly. Forgetting the digger on the trench rim, Zancha ran to one of the second-rank artifacts. It, too, was warm and vibrating, but unlike the first artifact, it had a steel-toothed mouth and steel claws as nasty as any warrior pinchers in addition to its golden carapace. On impulse, Zancha tried to bend the raised edge of the golden plate. A long, segmented antenna whipped around Zancha's arm and hurled her against the trench wall, but not before she had the answer she wanted. The plate hadn't bent. It looked like gold, but it was made of something much stronger. Zancha had another, less wanted answer, too. The artifacts were aware, possibly sentient, and at least partially powered. Move! Move! The rattletrap digger shrieked from the rim, less warning or concern from a damaged companion than a reaction to the unexpected. Sure enough, a reeking handful of diggers and bearers came clattering, some through the trenches and others along the rim. One digger, in better repair than the rest, assumed command, 
demanding quiet from his peers and an explanation from Orman Hosra. Simple enough. It moved and I didn't dodge. A cacophony of squeaks and trills echoed through the cave as the diggers and bearers succumbed to laughter. The better-made digger whistled for silence. They have not moved. They do not move. Zancha displayed her welted arm. Sometimes there was no arguing with flesh. Diggers did not have articulated faces, yet the chief digger contrived a worried look. You will secure them, it said. A command, not a request. I will need wire, Zancha began, then hesitated as half-formed plots competed in her head. The searchers must have known that the shiny insects were more than plunder, but the diggers and bearers, despite their trench excavations, hadn't known the artifacts could move. She stared at the huge, faceted eyes, fiery in reflected lantern light. The insects weren't Phyrexian. Perhaps they could be enlisted in her private war against Phyrexia if she could get them through intact and without getting herself killed in the process. Strong wire, she amended. And cloth, thick, heavy cloth, and food, something to eat and not reeking of oil. Cloths. The digger whirled its mouth parts in confusion. Only newts, gremlins, and the highest strata of priests draped their bodies in cloth. Unmade clothes, Sancha suggested. Or soft leather, something, anything I can cover their eyes. The digger chattered to itself. The tender priests could replace a newt's eyes, if its destiny called for a different sort of vision. But diggers had flesh eyes within their mobile faces. This one had pale blue eyes that widened slowly with comprehension. Diggers will find said, and spun its head around and issued commands to its peers in the rapid, complete Phyrexian way that Zancha could understand but never duplicate. Fully half of them rumbled immediately toward the cave's mouth. The chief digger turned back to Zancha. Omanuzara, begin. As she did, walking the trenches, examining the insect artifacts already excavated, Zancha counted the golden, humming creatures that were visible. She climbed out of the trenches and measured the rest of the dig site with her eyes. The cave could easily contain an army. Sancha hadn't been on this world long enough to know the measure of its day, but it seemed safe to think that she'd need at least a local season, maybe a local year, to get her warriors ready for their war. Sancha approached the Golden Swarm cautiously, starting with those she judged least likely to sever an arm or neck if she made a mistake, which she did several times before she learned what awakened them and what didn't. An isolated touch was more dangerous than a solid thwack to an armored underbelly, and they were much more sensitive to her flesh than to the digger's shovel hands. She foresaw problems inciting her army to fight back in Phyrexia and studied the artifacts by herself. Whenever rain drove all but a few diggers and bearers to the shelter beside the ambulator, rain, especially a cold, penetrating rain, was a poorly completed Phyrexian's greatest enemy, the bearers would retreat all the way to Phyrexia once a storm started. Zancha could have won her private war with just a few of the mud-swirling, gully-washing deluges that threatened the artifact cave as the world's seasons progressed. Cold rain and mud weren't Zancha's favorite conditions either. She commandeered pieces of a digger-scrounged cloth, which was, in fact, clothing for folk generally taller and broader than Zancha herself. The garments were torn, often slashed, and always blood-stained. They rotted quickly in the wretched weather, and when they grew too offensive, Zancha would throw a cloth on her fire and find something fresh in the scrounge piles. Her need for Phyrexian vengeance hadn't led to any empathy for born folk. She successfully dismantled one of the smaller insect artifacts and learned enough of its secrets to feel confident that they would awaken as soon as they emerged from the Phyrexian prime end of the ambulator. After that, it was simply a matter of folding their legs and antenna 
binding them with cloth and wire and ordering the bearers to stack them in pyramid layers near the nether end for eventual transfer to Phyrexia. It never occurred to her that the bearers would act on their own to carry the artifacts with them when they next escaped the rain, and by the time she realized that they had, it was already too late. It was a searcher priest towering above the diggers and bearers. The searcher priest called in that menacing tone only high-ranking Phyrexians could achieve. You were told to secure these artifacts for Phyrexia. You were warned that inefficiency would not be tolerated. You have failed in both regards. The artifacts you subverted were dismantled before they could cause any damage. The many-eyed searcher was between Zancha and the cave mouth. There'd be no getting past it or getting through the massed diggers and bearers if she'd been tempted to run, which she wasn't. Sancha might dream of lush green worlds, but she was Phyrexian, and though she'd learned how to declare war against her own kind, she hadn't learned how to disobey. When the priest called her forward, she threw down her tools and climbed out of the trench. Diggers and bearers formed a ring around her and the searcher priest. They chittered among themselves. This time, Ormon Herza had gone too far, would not survive the searcher priest's wrath. Dig! The searcher priest commanded, and she understood what they intended for her. Zancha dug the damp ground until she scratched out a shallow hole as wide as her shoulders and as long as she was tall. There was nothing worse than a too short, too narrow prison. Her fingers were numb and bloodied, but she clawed the ground until the searcher priest grew impatient and ordered a digger to finish the job. When it was done, the hole tapered from shallow to waist-deep along its length and was exactly the length and width Zancha had laid out. She had been through this before and, with a sigh, jumped into the hole her feet landing in the deeper end, ready to be buried alive. Not yet, the searcher priest said as a length of segmented wire unwound from its arm. Zancha recognized it as the antenna from one of her insect warriors. She climbed out of a hole prepared for pain, prepared for death, because she was certain that the searcher priest had lied. Only a few of her warriors had gotten to Phyrexia, and undoubtedly all of them had fallen by now, but at least one had done damage before it fell. That was victory enough. Zancha's wrists were bound by a length of wire slung over a tree limb to keep her upright during the coming ordeal. It had to be enough as the first lash stroke of the antenna cut through her ragged clothing and the second cut deep into her flesh. The diggers and bearers counted the strokes. Lesser Phyrexians were very good at counting. Zancha heard them count to twenty. After that, everything was blurred. She thought she'd heard the cry of forty and fifty, but that might have been a dream. She hoped it was a dream. Then it seemed that there was a stroke that didn't land on her and wasn't counted by the diggers and bearers. That, too, might have been a dream, except there were no strokes after that, and no one pushing her into what would almost certainly have been her permanent grave. Instead, there was a bright light and a great noise. A storm, Zancha thought slowly. Rain, driving the diggers, bearers, and even the searcher priest to shelter. Her wounds had begun to hurt. Drowning would be a better, easier way to die. Without the diggers and bearers to do the counting, there was no way to measure the time. She slumped beneath the tree limb, unable to stand or fall. In retrospect, it could have not been very long before she heard a voice speaking the language of her dreams, the language that had given her the words for beauty. Zancha didn't notice that she didn't fall when her arms did and that the rain never fell. The voice filled her head with comforting sounds. Then a hand that was both warm and soft like her own touched her face and closed her eyes. When she awoke next, she was in a grave of pain and fire, but the voice was in her head telling her that fear was unnecessary, even harmful to her healing. She remembered her eyes and, opening them, looked upon a flaming specter with many-colored eyes. 
Zancho thought of Gix, and for the first time in her life, she fainted. The next time Zancho awoke, the pain and fire were gone. She was weak but whole and lying on softness such as she had not felt since leaving the vats. A man hovered beside her, staring into the distance. She had the strength for one word and chose it carefully. Why? His face, worried as he stared, turned grim when he looked down. I thought the Phyrexians would kill you. Beyond doubt, he spoke the language of Zancha's dreams, the language of the place where she had been destined to sleep. He knew the name of her place, too, and had correctly guessed that the Phyrexians meant to kill her, but he hadn't seemed to recognize that she was also Phyrexian. Waves of caution washed through Zancha's weakened flesh. She fought to hide her shivering. A piece of cloth covered her. He pulled it back, revealing her naked flesh. His frown deepened. I thought they'd capture you. I thought they would change you as they changed my brother. But I was too late. You bled. There's no metal or oil beneath your skin, but they already made you one of them. You remember who you were, child. Why did they take you? Did you belong to a prominent family? Where were you born? She shook a deep breath. Honesty, under the present circumstances, seemed the best course, as it had been with Gix, for surely this man was a demon. And just as surely he was already at war with Phyrexia. I was not born. I have no family. I was never a child. I am Orman Huzra, who calls herself Zancha. I am Phyrexian. I belong to Phyrexia. He made white-knuckled fists above Zancha's face. She closed her eyes, lacking the strength for any other defense, but the blows didn't fall. Listen to me closely, Zancha. You belong to me now. After what was done to you, for whatever reason it was done, you have no cause for love or loyalty to Phyrexia. And if you're clever, you'll tell me everything you know, starting with how you and the others plan to get home. Zancha was clever. Gix himself had conceded that. She was clever enough to realize that this yellow-haired man was both more and less than he seemed. She measured her words carefully. There's a shelter at the bottom of the hill. Take me there. I will show you the way to Phyrexia.